When we were singing uh, that last song, and I'm hearing some of the kids from the back uh, shout singing, singing, shouting, His mercy is more, I just wanted to stand up and jump and then say, the service is over, let's go home. It's been a long day. But that whole truth that His mercy is more is so evident even in our passage tonight. Now, as we uh, go into this over the next few moments, I want to remind you not to miss the obvious that we're going to be remembering communion, uh, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table tonight. And so I want to encourage you to uh, hear the Word meditatively, soberly, humbly, Uh, Be thinking not about specifically how this word applies to you, but letting it bear uh, on your own heart, praying for the Spirit's work. Remembering the words in Isaiah 66, but to this one I will look, to him who is humble of heart and who trembles at my word. Well, a number of years ago, we were on a GBC youth rafting trip on the Nantahala River, I think in North Carolina, but maybe Tennessee, I'm not very sure. And I fell out of the raft, blink of the eye fast, sudden, didn't see it coming. All of a sudden, I went from dry to wet. Very cold would describe it. My instant thought was, how would I get back in the raft? How, how would I have the strength to pull myself up and back into the safety of the raft? Some of you who have fallen out of rafts understand that dilemma. And then all of a sudden, the firm hand and the strong arm of Chris Marley grabbed me by my life jacket and hauled me up and into the safety of the raft. Immediately safe. Immediately not warm, but getting warmer. Okay, but getting warmer. Immediately grateful. And it's inaccurate and incomplete to say simply, I came out of the water. And it's a falsehood to say, I brought myself out of the water. It is only right to say that he brought me out. You see, another person brought me out. Chris brought me out. Chris rescued me from my moment of exposure my moment of danger on the river, not to overhype it, okay? But to say otherwise is to deny the reality of what Chris did, of what really happened, and to risk the posture of ingratitude. And thankfully, even to this day, I can still remember Chris's actions, still fresh in my mind. But too often we have a memory problem. We're either like elephants who are said to never be able to forget anything, or they remember everything, and we either remember too much that's expressed in bitterness and and unforgiveness and resentment, or too little that's expressed in ingratitude, or in a, that's expressed in a spiritual inconsistency and an unsustainable faith. But the antidote to that is we must shout out that he brought us out. We must shout that out. 
We must bring out to ourselves by daily conversation with ourselves, by our everyday self-talk, by the daily preaching of the gospel to ourselves, that he has rescued us so that when we wake up in the morning, we may say, I, if I'm anything, am a rescued person. He has rescued me. He has brought me out. And that he's brought us out of the Egypt of our sin, out of every dimension of life apart from Christ that's death and darkness and bondage, out of the bondage, out of the affliction, out of the darkness, out of the hopelessness, out of the chains, out of the despair, and out of the utter misery of our sin into the freedom of hope into the light of joy and into the peace of forgiveness that are only found in the cross and in the gospel of his sons. And if you think about it, at that point, you may say then, your life will never, your life can never, your life must never be the same again. And even as David went into the waters of baptism this morning, And that verse right before, thinking of Paul said to the church at Corinth, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so we are a rescued people. And you are a rescued person if by faith you are in Christ Jesus, if you are resting in the risen Son of God. And so young person, if you're wondering... Am I a Christian? What are you resting on? When you let all else go, what are you willing? What are you believing? What are you hoping? What is it that you're hoping will support you? If it's Christ, then that's an encouraging sign for you. Now, I want us to think of this as a preparatory message, a kind of a shorter meditation, a communion message, if you will, designed to prepare our hearts to receive the new covenant, the New Testament expression of Passover. That is communion, the Lord's Supper. And so, as you know, Exodus means departure, and therefore Exodus is that Old Testament pattern for all the redemptive realities we find in Christ. And in the New Testament, so in this book of Exodus, with the statute of the Passover, we have a pattern, we have a picture for the communion that we celebrate, that we observe as the people of God. Now, four basic points on what is not a linear exposition of these 25 verses. But here it is. I tried to alliterate it, and some of you will laugh. That's fine. I'll be thick-skinned. Let me give you four real quickly. Number one, I want you to see in this passage an unmistakable emphasis. And that's the idea that he brought us out. And you'll notice the last point has the same thing. There's this unmistakable emphasis, he brought us out. And I want you to think then of the word gratitude. Ironically, You really don't, I believe, find the word gratitude explicitly or thanks or thanksgiving 
in this text. It's implicit, not explicit. But secondly, I want you to see a unilateral or uniform equivalence. And I know some of you are like, you've taken this alliteration thing too far. It's okay. It'll make sense in a minute. And that's the idea of all the non-people of Israel being able to join on one condition. All right? Thirdly, you're going to see a unique expulsion. Now, most of the time when we think of expulsion, we think of someone being expelled from where? School, okay? But the Puritans, even as Pastor Jamie has mentioned, the powers, right, the expulsive powers of, I think, a new affection, something by Thomas Chalmers. And that's the idea of something that pushes something out, okay? And we'll see that as we think about leaven and unleaven. That's the idea of pursuit of holiness. And then finally, an unending expression. An unending expression in this statute and the institution of the Passover with the feast of the unleavened bread. So first, unmistakable emphasis. That's the idea of gratitude. A unilateral equivalence. And that's the idea of a surprising acceptance of the ingrafting of a different people. Of, the, of it going broad and a sense of the scale of the kingdom of God. Thirdly, a unique expulsion, and that's the idea that you find in the book by Jerry Bridges. We might call it the pursuit of holiness because Paul says, or the writer of the book of Hebrews says, in Hebrews 12, 14, what? Pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And then finally, there's an unending expression kind of a chiastic structure he brought us out and that's the idea of remembrance the idea of remembrance well first the unmistakable emphasis you see these words the Lord brought the people of Israel out and I almost titled this sermon out just three letters out just to kind of catch your attention but then I thought better of it but in these 25 verses no less than seven times We read of the Lord bringing his people out of Egypt or they're going out of Egypt. And it's very important that you understand by my illustration with Chris Marley pulling me out of the Nantahala River back in the raft, here was the point. The idea of simply coming out is not the idea here biblically. In this Hebrew stem, that what we call the hiphal stem, is the idea of one thing causing another, so that you have cause in effect. It is God that it caused by his powerful right arm the people of Israel to come out of Egypt. And he's taking them out that he might bring them in. And so seven times we see this in our passage, chapter 12, verse 50. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Okay, there's that hiphal stem. God is causing this to happen. Chapter 13 and verse 3. Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt out of the house of slavery. Okay? And I want you to notice with each of these seven expressions, there's a different element in chapter 12, verse 50. It is God that does this. He's bringing them out of the land of Egypt by their 
by their hosts or by their divisions. Remember, think of a multitude, two million people strong. It's hard to believe. It's huge. That's 40% of the population of the state of South Carolina. Some of you know the numbers. This is so big that if you started here and you went seven wide down Pelham Road on 85, south on I-385, I-26, if you went 250 miles towards Charleston, you'd have to be just six or seven feet apart, seven wide, to have a, pop, to have a group of people that's two million strong. And this all began just exactly a book in the same chapter earlier in Genesis 12 with a pagan called Abram answering the call in Genesis 12 from Mesopotamia. And all there was was Abram, his barren wife, their nephew Lot, and answering the call of God. But God is doing this. God is bringing this people of Israel out from the land of Egypt, chapter 12, verse 50. Then chapter 13, verse 3, he says, you remember now this day in which you came. You didn't just come out of Egypt. You were enslaved in Egypt. And now again in chapter 13 and verse 3, here's this idea of a strong hand. By a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. Now, I want to point something out to you from the text that this is just one of those things because they don't have the southern vernacular of you and y'all in the Bible. We don't have that in the SV. But when you get through chapter 13 and verse 3, those little yous you're seeing are all plural. It's like me saying, you all. And we're speaking like this, you all. But once you get to chapter 13 and verse 4, today in the month of, actually, Abib, you are going out. That's plural as well. And the, the pronoun is separate to emphasize this. Today, you all, you all are going out. But when you get to the next verse in verse 5, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, from that point to the end of our section, all those yous are singular. So that in this passage, two things is happening. Moses and Aaron, as they're giving this message, they're going from you all to you in terms of narrowing the application, even as the scope of what God is doing and his welcome into the fellowship is broadening from the people of God to eventually include the stranger and the foreigner, everyone who would be circumcised. So there's a, both a narrowing of the language from y'all to you and a broadening from the people of Israel to those among them that would be willing to be circumcised. Then you see in chapter 13 and verse 8 that the response to a son is, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. There's that phrase, when I came out of Egypt. And then, chapter, and then verse 9, for with a strong hand, this sounds just like verse 3, with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. And then verse 14, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And that makes sense because of the stem of this verb, the idea of something causing something, right? Yesterday, I was pounding chicken in the kitchen, 
and I got my mallet too close to a plate. And all of a sudden I heard this, and Cheryl, what'd you do? It was by my weekend that with that mallet, I broke that plate. I just nicked it. I caused it to shatter. And that's the idea. God is causing his people to come out of Egypt. They didn't just come out. It's not passive here. And then finally, verse 16, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. The Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the covenant name of God. Well, second, we see here, not only, right, not only this unmistakable emphasis that ought to invoke gratitude in us that he brought us out, but also a unilateral equivalence. And it says, it says there, if, if you look in verses 43 through 49, there's an expression that says this in verse 48. Then, speaking of the stranger, but encompassing, encompassing every foreigner, every slave, encompassing them, watch. Then he may come near and keep it. That is the Passover. He shall be as a native of the land. And that's the point, that's a huge point there in 43 and 49. Not only that those who must keep it, who, or who, who will keep the Passover must be uh, circumcised, not only that everyone who is uncircumcised cannot participate, but the potential that if they are, they'll be included. So we see in these verses plenty to govern the institution of the Passover as a statute. Those who were uncircumcised were excluded, and it didn't matter their status, right? You might call this a unilateral equivalence. Foreigner, slave, hired worker, stranger, it did not matter. If they were uncircumcised, then they were not qualified to keep the Passover, and they were not permitted to eat it. No exceptions. And it's abundantly clear, though, from verses 43 through 49 that there's a caveat to that, all right? But the point is that what is clear is that all were equal by virtue of the sign of the covenant or circumcision, all right? But all these that didn't have it, they were equal by virtue of lacking the sign of the covenant. That is, they were uncircumcised. And it serves as a signpost for the true scope of the kingdom of God. Not just Jew, but also Gentile. All who come to faith in Christ are welcome. And the gospel is for the nations. None are excluded. Well, where's the New Testament equivalent or parallel? Well, just as we saw this morning, when a person trusts in Christ, their public initiation into the body of Christ is the sign of the new covenant. It's the ordinate, the ordinance of baptism. And that outward symbol represents this greater inner reality of a heart that's undergone radical change by the grace of God. The point is not just this mark that made a Jew a Jew, but it pointed to a greater reality of an inward circumcision of God by his spirit that united a man or woman to God in faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's Alec Modier that says this. He says, this is a community, and hear me carefully, with two components, not two degrees or levels of membership. In other words, he says, the covenant is true to its Abrahamic foundation that in Abraham all nations come to the blessedness that they need. The circumcised alien is able to come into full membership under the same principle as the native born. And you can see that. Look at this. There shall be, verse 49, there shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. As Paul says in Ephesians 3, 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, let's apply this right at street level, and here's the point. When we have those that come in our body, and we are not uniform, even this morning, our brother that's giving his testimony is giving his testimony, having been here for two and a half years, being part of this body Listening, thinking, hearing sermons, not in his first language. And then he gives his testimony, not in his first language. Do you extend that type of heart that reflects the fact that maybe there are two components, but there are not two degrees or levels of membership, all right? There is no, as Paul says in Galatians, there's no male or female in that way, no slave or free, no Jew or Greek in Jesus Christ. Well, it brings us then to the unique expulsion in chapter 13 and verses 6 and 7. And kids, I want you to think for a moment, bread, think bread for a moment. Now think the best bread your mom or dad makes. That when it's, some of you know what that's like. You could just, just think about it. Or you're walking into Panera bread or something like that. And most of the time, that's leavened bread. And in the institution of the Passover, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, what is not celebrated is leavened bread that so often we love. You'll get the point in the moment. Here it is. No leavened bread shall be eaten. That's what we read there in verse 3. All right, no leavened bread shall be eaten. The end of verse 3. Seven days then, if you look in verses 6 and 7, seven days, here's the feast, you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, there shall be a feast of the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you. And no leavened bread or no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. I want you to think of this emphasis. No leaven and no leavened bread in your houses. No leaven bread seen with you. No leavened bread, I keep wondering if I should add that E-D on the end of it. Is it E-D on the end? I'm looking very quickly. Right, unleavened with an E-D. No unleavened bread seen in your houses with you. No unleavened bread seen with you in all your territory. What does this mean? And we saw something of this last week from 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8. And in verse 5 there, Paul says, let me give you this encouragement 
to holiness. All right, actually in verse seven. He says, he, he gives the encouragement to holiness on this basis. Why are we to be holy? For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And so that the symbol and the connection of Egypt with sin in our former life is paired with leaven. And coming out of Egypt and going to Canaan then is paired with unleavened bread. And so he says, look, get rid of it. Get rid of the leaven. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And only unleavened bread pairs, if you will, P-A-I-R-S, with the Passover lamb. What does he mean? Don't keep this old leaven of malice and envy, but keep the new leaven, which is really no leaven at all, of sincerity and truth. Expel the leaven out of sin and your former life. Expel it. For you're now out of Egypt. Things are not the same. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is past, behold, the new has come. And this is a unique expulsion for only a true Christian has this enduring interest in holiness in a life that's devoted to pleasing God. There's a final point, and that is this unending expression. He brought us out. The institution of the Passover, of the Passover and the Feast of this Unleavened Bread, in a sense, were designed to provide this unending expression, a perpetual reminder, a visible drama of what God had done for his people. He, not them, not anyone else, had brought them out of Egypt. Does that remind you of our April memory verses, Ephesians 2, 8, 9? For by grace, can we say it together? For by grace, you have been saved through faith. All right? And this is what? Not your own doing. Semicolon. It is the gift of God. That's right. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Yahweh had rescued them from their slavery in an alien land by his powerful and gracious hand. Look, if you're not a Christian, you are not neutral. You are dead. Dead people typically don't do anything. You need life, and that's available. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you life. In fact, one of the seven I am savings of Jesus, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He doesn't waffle about that. He said that straight up. Come to me. I'm the life giver. He had rescued them. He'd done it. He had redeemed them. And John Murray says that redemption from the power of sin may be called the triumphal aspect of redemption. And so this morning, if you like me were glad you're thinking, he is risen, and then we're saying in response, he's risen indeed to wake up tomorrow and think, or to go to bed tonight and know The redemption from the power of sin because of the resurrected Son of God 
by virtue of his resurrection, received that stamp of affirmation and validation by the Father, so that raised up, ascending, and seated at the right hand of God tomorrow, tonight, he's praying for us that we might continue in the freedom of righteousness, increasingly freed from the indwelling power of sin. I don't know about you, but that makes me joyful. Like, that really makes me joyful. We really need an African spiritual song about right now. Whoever gets tired. Does anyone ever get tired of fighting sin? Does anyone, like, do you feel that? Do you feel that? Let me read this again from John Murray. Redemption from the power of sin may be called the triumphal aspect of of redemption, and that is ours in Christ Jesus. That is pictured here in the Exodus as the typological event from the Old Testament of rescue of what salvation looks like. We are freed from Egypt, which represents sin in the power and bondage of sin. He had rescued them. And when Yahweh brought Israel out from Egypt, he redeemed them from the power of Pharaoh, from, the, from Pharaoh's servants and from their 430-year indentured servitude in that alien and hostile land that Graham Goldsworthy calls a virtual denial of the covenant promises of God. And so the Passover, as the Old Testament forerunner, the New Testament communion, was the simple meal that provided the full sensory experience, the touch, the taste, the smell, the feel, to help answer even the youngest child's question. This morning after the service, our little four-year-old granddaughter asked me, Booba, why were you in the water? Booba, why were you up there in the water? The water, and I like, Lord, thank you, gave me an illustration for tonight's message. And I said, Honey, I took the man down in the water because he loves Jesus, and Jesus loves him, and he and Jesus are together. And it's a picture of Jesus dying on the cross, being put in the tomb, and being raised by his father. And she looked at me like only a four-year-old, you know, could do like, whoa, I mean, that's a little too much, Dad, or Pops. (laughs) But that's the point. That's the point of this unending expression. And so when the youngest child says, why are we eating this lamb? Why are we eating this different and weird bread for a week? There's one answer. It's remember. Remember. It's remember, it's not just gratitude, it's remember. He brought us out of Egypt by a strong hand. And there's no parallel statute for their entrance into Canaan. I don't know if you know that. There is no parallel feast or statute for Israel's going in to Canaan like there is for this one of them coming out. The meal simply and exclusively commemorates his deliverance from Egypt. And the communion meal is similar. For it celebrates, it commemorates only his sacrificial death 
in all its hues, all its colors and textures, as that once for all sacrificial death and sacrificial offering for us as people. So come, let's eat, let's drink together. Can I have the men who are serving communion to join me?